You are listening to the Next Play Podcast, the playbook for high-performing leaders who want to exceed their full potential. From walking on the Ole Miss football team at 5'7", 150 pounds, and earning a full D1 scholarship, to coaching thousands around the world and working with massive organizations like IBM, I've learned countless lessons that I'll be sharing right here with you. Join me as I interview some of the most successful people so you too can learn how to focus on always moving forward by deciding, planning, and executing on the next play relentlessly. This is Richie Contartesi, also known as Relentless Richie with the Next Play Podcast. And today I have an amazing guest for you. His name is Chuck Garcia. He's done some really, really amazing things. He's a mountain climber. He's a professor. He's was at the very beginning with Bloomberg, basically built the organization. He's an international best-selling uh, author, a speaker. He also has his podcast, A Climb to the Top. And his, his, um, his message is all around successful transformation, which is really, really powerful. And what, at the end of the day, what we need in order to get to the next level. So super excited to have Chuck here today. What's going on, man? Uh, Richie, great to have you. It was great, great to be on this side of the microphone with you, but always a pleasure to collaborate. And thank you for the opportunity to speak to your audience. Yeah, absolutely. And you as well. It was great being on uh, a climb to the top. And so glad to have you here. And I know our listeners are just going to get so much out of this on, from our previous conversations and just what you've accomplished in the past. So climb leadership, um, Talk me through how you came to that. Tell me, share your story of what you've done with Kilimanjaro and, and the, the mountain you were just telling me about in the middle of nowhere. Like, walk me through how you got to climb leadership and then what that looks like today. Yeah. Well, for context, climb leadership is the name of my company and I'm professional services. I'm an executive coach, mostly to financial institutions and financial technology companies, because that is my pedigree. But how I came to it was through a series of twists and turns, Richie. Um, my career started when I left college as a career salesman. I was, I didn't know with my finance major, I knew I was going to Wall Street and I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to do with it. But one of the things, if you're not sure what to do, there are never lack of companies that need people to sell their dreams. Even though I'd never, certainly college doesn't teach you any of that, I became a career salesman simply because I read a book early on in my career that had an enormous impact on my mindset. And that book is called How to Master the Art of Selling by this wonderful guy named Tom Hopkins. And I use that as my career Bible to emerge throughout the course of my career where I, my success early on had nothing to do with mountains. It had nothing to do with anything other than the ability to sell what the company I represented, which was called Bloomberg. I was there early on in the company. And yet my job was to exceed sales expectations. It mm. wasn't good enough. If they expected me to send sell 10 of something, I needed to sell 15. That was the mindset I developed to, to be able to ascend in that career. So Klein Leadership was ultimately formed years later. And throughout the course of 25 years, I became a mountaineer through the course of my career from an event on 9-11 
where I was scheduled to speak on the 107th floor of the World Trade Center at three o'clock the day the planes hit the trade. Really? Dude, I had no idea. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I got I to gotta pause here for a second. You were, you were supposed to speak in the World Trade Center on 9-11? I was scheduled originally at 9.30 on 9-11 that morning. A friend of mine had the three o'clock slot. Two months before that event, and he and I, he, he worked at, at a very big investment bank, and he and I had done many, many speaking engagements together. His name was, was Scott. And Scott called me a couple months when the agenda was in draft form. And he said, Chuck, I'm in a bit of a jam. Do you mind if I switch with you? And I said, no, no problem. You want me to take the three and you take the 930. Okay, cool. So they put me on the three o'clock slot that afternoon. It was a two-day conference. I was also scheduled to speak at 11 the following morning. So I was on a panel Monday at three, or at, at three o'clock on 9-11, and I had my own talk at 11 o'clock the next morning in the same place, which is the 107th floor of the World Trade Center. Unfortunately, Richie, I, I was not in the building, although many people thought I was. I was on my way there, and three of my colleagues had already gone in there in the service of the speech that I was going to give, and they set up these Bloomberg terminals. That was in a time where Bloomberg was the, this terminal that people use for stock quotations and to, to, to get a read of the markets. Yeah. Two of them were 24 years old. One of them was 22, young guys right out of school, and they unfortunately were, were there when the buildings hit and never made it out of the building. Oh, my so, God. Yeah, but that moment, Richie, and I think that's where my story began, where Klein leadership began, because that was a moment of introspection. My wife and children thought I was dead. My company thought I was dead. And I was actually, there was a dead unaccounted for list. I was on that list for several hours until I made it back to the building. And people said, oh, my God, Chuck, you're alive. We thought you were in the building. I hadn't made it in. So I watched it collapse. I saw all the smoke and I said, oh my God, what is going on here? If nothing else, Richie, the introspection that you begin to examine everything. Why am I alive? What, 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 I guess we all die. That wasn't my day to die. Yeah. And when I, when I thought about it, I said, oh my goodness. I knew there was nothing I could do to bring back the lives of my three wonderful colleagues. And I, I attended 15 or 16 memorials and funeral services for lost friends because of that event. Through the course of that month, something happened in my mind where I needed to do something that would honor the spirit of all my friends and colleagues who have died because I didn't. So if I'm given a second chance, what can I do with this? I could just keep doing what I'm doing, which was quite good. At the time, I was the public spokesman for Bloomberg after many years of succeeding in my sales career, becoming a sales manager, sales leader. I ultimately evolved to become the public spokesman for the company. So I spent many years traveling around the world on stage. And my job was to move people through public speaking engagements to the cause of my company. And that was our mission, to influence people so that in their mind, when they needed to make a buying decision, there were a lot of choices in finance and financial technology. My job was to communicate something that was powerful and compelling and would plant into the minds of all of those buyers yeah. by Bloomberg. Pretty straightforward. And let me stop there. You with me so far? Absolutely. So throughout our careers, and I think this certainly applies to you, to, to many people who twist and turn their way 
there's a lot going on in our lives. You go to your job and you want to exceed expectations. You go home to your wives, your husbands, your children, whatever that may be. There's just all of these things in our mind that we want to serve as best we can. And so that moment of that month I went through between 9-11 and the next month of funerals and memorial services, it suddenly dawned on me, okay, I can't bring them back. I'm blessed to be alive. I'm thankful that that wasn't my day to die, but here I am. What am I going to do with this? And what I thought about is I always, I grew up in a place which was a winter wonderland. I learned how to ski and skate, and I was really into cold weather. And I read a book called Into Thin Air, and I don't know why. It just appeared, and it, was, it recounted the story of a disaster that occurred on Mount Everest in 1996. Mm-hmm. But in addition to the story of the disaster, it spoke of this thing mountaineering, and it okay. spoke of, of the mindset, the skill set, how you get through it. I read that book, and I said, oh, my God, it was talking to me. So I don't know what magic in the air made it appear, but from there, I started to become a mountaineer and it was in the mountaineering, Richie, and now I'll get to the answer to your question. I started climbing mountains with teams and I was technically trained on rock and ice. So I, I had the technical competence to be able to get on a mountain and to ascend it. But what I didn't come to realize, and I came later, oh my God, the collaboration the one step at a time, the mindset that you develop as a mountaineer is there is no shortcut to the top. You can't do it alone. It's all about the generosity that you and your mates give to each other on your ascend. So many years later, throughout many climbs, Kilimanjaro, the Matterhorn, I climbed in Alaska and the Andes, it became pretty clear to me. I'm not just climbing mountains. I am a mountaineer. And when I decided to take my Wall Street pedigree and to, to, to found and, and to create my own company in professional services, it was a no-brainer. I knew I was going to train people on the art and science of public speaking, of emotional intelligence, of the things that I used in my career to emerge as a leader, and ultimately it became pretty clear. What am I going to call my company? Duh. I'm going to call it climb leadership because it's everything is about the climb. And my book is called a climb to the top and it became my brand. That's, that's an amazing story of you taking a, a, a incident in your life where it's like, Holy smokes. Like I'm, I'm so lucky to be here and saying, you know what? There's more. You had an amazing job. You were crushing it at, at Bloomberg. You basically, real quick, just so I understand, you you pretty much, you were the what, 120th person 190. at Bloomberg? 190. Yeah, 190th. 190th. Yeah. And now there's 20,000. And so, and you were a part of that massive growth. Had this situation that happened where you, you, you know, it's like, hey, my life has you know, has like serious meaning. I can, I can build something. And you went on this kind of journey, climbed these, you know, went on this journey of, of climbing these mountains and realized the lessons that you learned from that you can use to help other people and to influence other people's lives. Um, now is that is, when you did that, was it, I still, I love what I do with Bloomberg and I love selling and, but I, I also, I know I, I can make an influence in a bigger way. Is that kind of, was that kind of your mindset around that? 
it wasn't early on when when I stepped on my first mountain summit, which was Mount Rainier in the Cascade Mountains. It was first just getting over the fact, oh my God, I could actually do this, and it was just getting caught up in 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 the fact that I'm I'm dreaming beyond my own limits. And I'm living up to doing something I never thought I could do. So the first is just hits you with, oh, my God, this was awesome. How do I communicate this? I, and I wasn't even thinking about a company. I was just thinking about what's my next mountain because I was so evolved in my career. And I hit a place that, that was just financially lucrative. It had a lot of prestige. It was a ton of fun. It was an awesome career evolution, and I was where I should have been in my life. This is great. But then I climbed another mountain, and that was Kilimanjaro was my second. And I was like, okay, what's next? Now I'm thinking, Richie, very much the way we think about our careers, not any kind of mental capacity, just about the achievement. Okay, what do you do next? All right. The next play. Next one. Right, <laughs> yeah. exactly. What's the next play? Matterhorn. Okay, after Kilimanjaro. A year later, what's the next play? I went to a mountain in Ecuador called Antisana. Now I'm climbing the Andes. Okay, a couple of years later, I went to Alaska on a mountain called Mount Bona. So Richie, it was interesting how my mindset was think about this like a career. What's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? And yet, and here's where the change came. I was in this mountain in Alaska called Mount Bona, which is defines the middle of nowhere. Yeah. I've never been to Alaska before, but we were in these little plains that take you up on glaciers and you begin to see the enormity of how gigantic Alaska is and how small we are. And I'm not diminishing the human spirit. It just really opened up my eyes to the size and scale of this place. And we were dropped off on this glacier in the middle of nowhere. They threw all of our stuff out of the plane and they said, we'll be back in two weeks. Good luck. So here we were surviving very much Himalayan style. You're just creating a series of camps that you're just hauling your equipment up to these camps, camp one, camp two, upper camp. And now you're, you're in the position to summit. And we did that over the course of a couple of weeks. It was an extraordinary lesson, Richie, in, in collaboration. It's just this awesome thing where it wasn't about me. It wasn't about my achievement. The only thing I could do on that mountain was to serve the people on my team as we unified the efforts in the context of our mission. And our mission was not to get to the summit. Our mission was to get home to our families, which means we had to do this in a way that we could both achieve, but the most, which was getting to the summit. But the most important part was protecting each other in the service of that goal. And we made it to the summit and this is where it hit me, Richie. As I was descending after 12 days of our ascent to the top of the mountain, I was coming down that mountain. You have a lot of time in your head. You, you're, you're, Cause all you're doing is you're just stepping hours and hours at each day. And you've got a lot of space to consider, all right, what am I gonna do now? And that's when it really hit me. God, how lucky I am. Look at this thing we've done. But it wasn't about the mountaineering. It's about the impact that the guides had on me and how I felt, could I be a guide? I didn't want to be a mountain guide because I had this New York Wall Street life. Right. It was that experience where I got down the mountain and I said, okay, I am going to found my company. 
I am going to teach leadership and the metaphor of mountaineering. I'm going to teach people to do what I did, but the interesting spin of my brand being the businessman that I am, I have to be conscious of this distinct, unique thing that I am. That's when it became, I can help people climb their proverbial mountains from the lessons that I learned and the skill set that I developed. I wanted to be able to give that all back. That's awesome, man. That's so powerful. And, and so some of the lessons, let's talk through some of the lessons that you learned and how we can, how we can help um, our listeners overcome those same lessons, right? So one of the big ones that you mentioned earlier was there's no shortcuts. Walk me through that one because I think that's really important. There is no shortcuts well, think- to a mountain. <laughs> there's only one way to the top of the mountain. There is only one way, but I think what I learned from Tom Hopkins, and I think this is for all career salesmen, you're always feeling the pressure to do better than what's expected. And yet, even though you are trying as best you can to learn the tactics and techniques that will get your prospect to yes, because that's what you do. You get them to yes. You get them in a position to make a buying decision because you have persuaded them that you're exchanging your asset, your money, for my asset, this thing that I'm selling. And yet, as I was emerging in my career as a salesman, then promoted to sales manager, sales leader as I was ascending, I was now in a position where I was hiring other salespeople. And here's what I found, Richie. Many of them did not, when we started to train them, particularly on the art, mastering the art of selling by Tom Hopkins, so many people just wanted a shortcut. Oh, forget that tactic. Oh, how to overcome an objection? I'll just take them to dinner. Yeah, right. Uh huh. So we carefully went through and we used many, many years ago, I'm dating myself here though, but we, we learned the Xerox professional sales training. We taught people. Their their sales training. People go to Xerox just for their sales training. Right. And, And we adopted those techniques. If we can teach someone to sell a copy machine, we can teach them to sell Bloomberg. And here's what the lesson to learn about no shortcut. The best salesmen without question were the ones who were most committed, devoted, and open-minded to the patience that took to be able to learn the tactics and techniques that we were teaching. That sales is an art and sales is a science. And that what we found is the ones who were succeeding, and I'd like to think that I was one of those, found the equilibrium between being incredibly aggressive in selling Right. also incredibly patient in the discipline that it took to get a little bit better at the techniques of selling every day. And I say that, Richie, because so many people came in and they just wanted to go right to the top and they didn't learn their lessons well. They were too impatient. They were too almost, ah, they just dismissed it. Oh, I'll just get there. And they thought that sales was backslapping and gushing with enthusiasm when in fact, it was quite the opposite. We were teaching them two ears, one mouth. So stop talking. Listen to what's happening in this room. Read the room. Look at their eyes. Look at their hands. Look at the way they're standing. All these different things that help that salesperson on the mountain with the unpredictability of what was ahead of them. And, and that, that lesson we learned is that sales, not unlike engineering, medicine, law, is a discipline that requires 
education and development and the recognition, do not try to be perfect. Strive for progress, not perfection. You will twist and turn your way and be open to make mistakes. It's okay to make them. It's not okay to repeat them. And that was the metaphor when I, when, when I found my company in teaching people, everybody, calm down, stop trying to be perfect, and stop trying to find the shortcuts. We are going to take our time to learn this craft the way lawyers and doctors learn their craft. So the message to your listeners, you are in a sales organization Take the development of leadership, communication, and sales tactics as important as other professions do to the certifications and the exams they need to take in order to ascend in their profession. That's such a good point because there really is no like certif. I mean, there's certifications, but there's not really like like if you're going to become a lawyer, you have to pass the bar, right? Like, and there's right. there's no real. So for salespeople, they're like, oh, I can sell. So ice to an Eskimo. So I'm a, you know, but they don't do anything. They don't practice and they're always average. Right. So, um, that's a really, really good point. It is so true. Like most people, they just don't, they don't look at sales as an expertise. They look at it as, I guess a skill, but, but expertise is much different. Right. So I guess the next thing that we'll jump into is building on, okay, so you're, you're building your expertise, you're treating it as an expertise. What, what else does it take to get to the top, right? What else does it take to get to the top of being a, a peak performer, of being a great salesperson, of being a great leader, like obviously a climb to the top, right? So what, what else is some of the lessons that you, that, that you teach to, to help somebody get to the top? Yeah. And when I reflect on that answer, Richie, and I think about my own career evolution, something was, was, and I didn't quite realize it at the time. When we were teaching the young emerging people who joined Bloomberg on the art and science of selling, we were very good at teaching. This is an open close, this probe, closed probe, overcoming an objection, how to close. So there's a contract close and there's all kinds of different things. Right. But here's where I began to see what is separating the extraordinary performers from the average, because it was typically a bell curve. You generally, right. if you had 10, two were extraordinary, two totally sucked. And the other six, they, they were they were OK. They were fine. Yeah, yeah. Right. You know, we were trying to get them. But what I found is the two that were extraordinary. And let's just assume work ethic was the same. Let's just give them. Yeah. Everybody worked equally hard, but why does everybody put in the same amount of time? Not unlike an athlete, everybody gets 60 minutes on a court. Why do some perform so extraordinary compared to others? And what I found is the two that were exceeding out of the universe of 10, they were really good at the way that they connected to their prospects, the way they made them feel, the way that they could bring empathy and warmth and help the prospect feel that I'm not selling, they're buying. People don't like to be sold, but everybody loves to buy. It's a feel-good thing. Very true. And what I, right. And, and what I found is we need, to, we need to add another layer, not just selling tactics and techniques, 
We need to help the other people who are not succeeding gain more confidence, and we needed to help them to become better communicators, not just ask a question, but the manner by which they engaged, not just substance, but style. Yeah. So we were finding that the really good salespeople blended character, competence, and style. And style is a very – it's a missing thing. It's, it's something that a lot of people don't pay attention to, but I was utterly aware this style matters. How do you as a salesperson show up and in 250 milliseconds, you are forming an impression in the mind of the prospect? And 75% of the time, that first impression is unbeatable. You cannot change it. It's fixed. So look at the behavior of the extraordinary performers. They walk into a room. They smile. They create an open environment. They start asking questions, not making statements. They don't show up and throw up. They're actually creating a climate. So think about this, what we were training people to do. It wasn't sales tactics. It was creating an environment. Like who thought of that? Like nobody taught us that. The importance, you walk into a sales meeting, you got 10 strangers ahead of you. And you got to convince 10 people to buy this thing. You've never met them. Right. What are we really doing? We're helping our salespeople to learn to shut up, be mindful of what you're walking into is a space that you have to create. Because a lot of times there is a certain skepticism and an adversarial tone. Oh my God, another salesperson is going to slap me in the back and expect me to buy something that I have no interest in buying. Okay, well, that's a mindset. We have to, this unconscious bias that buyers, potential buyers bring, we're going to have to flip that up on it, rear it on its ugly head, change the rules walk into a sales call and take control of the environment that creates a, a, a climate where they feel comfortable in buying. And how do you do that? By looking into their eyes, by listening intently, look at their hands, look at their smile, be mindful of the body language and read the room. And why from there creates a series of signals in the mind of the salesperson when to move in, when to back off, when to add expertise, when to ask the right questions. There's so many variables and how you create it. But to me, Richie, helping people climb to the top was based on the intersection of the competence, being good at this sales thing. And then the substance and the style that came with communication skills. And once we got that right, extraordinary results. That's amazing. So talk me through really quick, the substance of the communication, like as a leader, like as it, you know, as a leader myself, and, you know, we work with a lot of uh, people who are in leadership roles and high performers, like that's such a powerful, that's the other side of the coin. Right. And then you were talking quite a bit about it, but how do, how does one really hone in on their, on that communication and relaying, you know, their message and you know what I mean? Like how, how does yeah. one, like you, you built all of these, you 
were such a big part of building Bloomberg and, and all of these salespeople and just people in general, like lifting them up and leading them to the, their top. And so, you know, I want to dive into that side of it, of just the communication, like, and, and, and the leadership that it takes to get to the top. So can you share a little bit about how you can, how you lead and lift people up to the top? Yeah. Well, I first want to put that into context as yeah. the word, what is it that people will follow? Yeah, so yeah, all, yeah. And, and the reason I say that, Richie, often people come into a company and you're told, hey, Richie's your boss. They, they didn't choose to follow you. Right. They are just, that's, that's the guy you have to follow whether you like it or not. And he's the person that's going to give you a performance review. That does not suggest that you're good, bad, or indifferent, but it's not been a choice. Leadership, Richie, is really somebody chooses to follow you, right? So, so, so they, they see something in an individual that they want to mirror and emulate because they admire something about you, that imitation being the sincerest form of flattery. You as a sales leader lead by example. And particularly the higher you are in an organization, as creepy as this sounds, you are being watched. Everything you say, every move you make, every hand gesture that you might include, someone is looking at it, they're picking up on it, and that's what they're talking about at dinner with their spouse, their girlfriend, their boyfriend. It's not about all this technical stuff that people worry about throughout the day. It's about how you feel, how you feel about the people in your gravity and how you feel about yourself. So to help in the communication aspect, it's first the recognition, no matter what you say, no matter what you do, that's often going to be forgotten. But what people never forget, and it sounds so commonsensical, but what I found in training human beings is common sense is not common. I never assume that one thinks the way I do in the common sense. But what people will never forget is how that salesman makes the prospect feel. A number one, that is the first thing that you have to carry with you. Because if you have a glimmer of arrogance, of obnoxiousness, of anything other than making them feel that I am here in the service of you. I'm not here because I need to make a sales quota. I am here because there's something that I offer in the service of your success. And Richie, many people, salespeople I have trained initially didn't get that message. They thought- Do you as a leader train, you know, I know you wrote the book on leadership communication, right? Like how do you train and, and, and coach was probably the better word, your team to, to be able to make that first impression, to be able to, you know, how do you do that? Like, how do you- yeah. I think the best way I can illustrate it is think about many meetings you've been in and you're sitting there waiting for a meeting and the, guy, the salesperson, whoever that is, he, she, they, they walk into the room. And what happens in the first couple of minutes? A bunch of blabbering and jabbering and, oh, you know, my husband, this, my wife, that, my blah, car, blah, blah. this, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, oh my God, this is people's time. Yet some right. people think that somehow it gives them permission to just blab around endlessly. It's hot outside. Oh, exactly. Or, you know, oh yeah, I watched that football game and yeah, that Tom Brady. Oh. I was like, okay, well, I appreciate that people are trying to connect with others, but that's not the way to do it. Right? Uh, you connect by helping people, not by talking about the weather. 
<laughs> but people like to talk about themselves. And, and yet what wow. one of the tactics, Rich, Richie, is in this case, what I teach, and it's chapter one of my book. And my book is called The Climb to the Top. Yes. And, and what I had found and the reason, it, the framework that I developed in The Climb to the Top is what I learned over years of being a salesperson and also being a public speaker, because in many ways, there, there's a lot of commonality. But the first chapter, Richie, and this is where I begin, it's called The Primacy Recency Effect. And it's okay. an observation that when you're in the company of somebody, people tend to remember the first thing you say. And when the conversation is finished, they tend to remember the last thing you say. They're pretty fuzzy on what happens in between. Now, think about when you're on the radio or listening to something on, on at home. So listen to a song. You, you tend to remember how it opens. That's the first thing that's planted in your mind. Yeah. And then when the song ends... That's drifting apart. That's you tend to remember the thing that was the most recent. Now let's put this in sales call mode. The primacy effect. What's the first thing they remember? Well, what they're going to remember is if you're jabbering endlessly about that, you know, I had car trouble and I blah, 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 blah. That's what they're going to remember. So their attention is immediately diverted because when we speak, we speak at a rate of about 150 words a minute. So you can't remember 150 words. You're going to remember the first 10 and the last 10. So what's the first technique here? The primacy effect. How do you open up? What is it they're going to remember when you walk into that sales call? What we teach, and certainly what I do, is in that first 30 to 45 seconds, you're talking about them. Yeah. Talking about their dreams, their hopes, their aspirations. You're immediately getting their attention because you're showing them, I'm not going to talk about what I watched on football yesterday. You have no interest in that. Why would you? Right. I'm going to talk about, I know you're looking at me through the lens of your self-interest and I get it. And so you should. So what should I talk about? You. Right. Hey, I looked at your website and I'm, 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 I'm spitballing here, but Richie, thank you very much for your time. I noticed on your website that you pointed to the core values of your company are character, compatibility, and adaptability. Before we even begin, I really love, can you help me to understand how did you form those values? Especially when you talk to a CEO, what they talk about are core values. That's the essence of the company they, they, they are leading. So no And they're going to go I, right to their, what the end result is, their dream is, their vision is. That's really good. That's a really but, good, uh, yeah. But salespeople don't, Richie. Many of, many of those, particularly those that are untrained, they think that if they just babble away incessantly about something that someone might actually be interested in without even checking or validating that they are, I wouldn't take that chance. I would immediately, the minute you start talking about their dreams, they're now landing on, oh, thank you for asking. Nobody ever asked me. How did I get there? So what I do, the techniques that I taught is find these little kernels about people that may not be obvious or may not be communicated in, in, in their website, find something about that that shows that you're interested in them. Don't, they're not interested in you, me as a salesman. They could care less. So what do we do? We flip it. And now people are public on their websites, on social media, on LinkedIn. Find something in there that allows you to be able to connect with them. Hey, Richie, I noticed on your LinkedIn, you played football for University of Mississippi. What was it like to be in, 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 in the gravity of 80,000 people screaming for a touchdown? 
funny ass that Chuck. Well, you know, it was where I was. I was on the 40 yard line carrying the ball. Now they're talking about them. Bingo. Beautiful. Go yeah. with it. Yeah. That's the primacy reason. And the recency effect is the very last thing you want to open a certain way to get them talking about themselves. The recency effect closes the loop. What do you want them to do? Talk about themselves. All that thing that happened in between. Yeah, it's features, functions, trying to sell, but you're really getting them to yes, helping through a series of questioning techniques. Richie, tell me, what's important to you in how you build an automobile? Well, I need an engine, I need a motor. So now you begin to explain the things that are important to you. My job as the salesperson now is to match the feature functions, but not to, to recite them like it's my yesterday mor morning's recipe for my bowl of oatmeal. It's helping to find their pain, to solve the problem, to save them money, to help them make money, to save them time. These are the things that we lead when we communicate. That's what we're looking for because it's common to all human beings. I think most people reaching sales that too much feature function. You know, you do, hey, and you know, look at this phone. It's got a matter, antimatter, nuclear transformer. And if you hit the right buttons, you're going to put a guy on Mars. Well, that's really impressive, but I don't give a damn about putting a guy on Mars and your features <laughs> and functions are absolutely boring. How, how does that help my business, bro? <laughs> <laughs> right. But a lot of people don't do it because they don't have the confidence. And so instead they just blab away incessantly. Well, that's, they don't, and they don't have the confidence because they don't have enough practice. They don't have enough, like they're not true. Like they say they're an expert, but they're not truly an expert. So that of course they don't have the confidence. So they don't, they let people settle for less. They don't push people when they should be pushed. They don't, um, are, aren't able to start the conversation focusing on them and asking the right questions. All those things that, that you mentioned there, which is really important. And well, I think a lot don't. of what I find, Richie, just in my, my client leadership practice, I think this is an important lesson for what do we see in people's ascension in careers? Well, typically at the beginning of the careers, if you have confidence, the confidence gives you visibility. Right. And if you get that visibility because you're now communicating in a way that people are noticing. So think about the frame here, confidence, mm -hmm. ac visibility, access. Think about those three things, one leading to the other. Think about the lack of confidence. It inhibits the visibility, which ultimately stops access to the top. So how do you gain that confidence? This is the very first layer of career advice. Most people lack confidence because they don't have communication skills that allows them to take that step forward and to take a leap. So they don't say much or they keep very guarded and they say the minimal amount of things that would add out of pure self-protection that the more I say, the more mistakes I'm going to make. So you know what? I'll say nothing. I can pat myself on the back for never making a mistake. That is not a good approach to careers, but the way to get noticed is to improve the communication skills that human beings really appreciate. You don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. You don't have to be Ivy League educated. That doesn't matter and nobody cares. But think about this, gaining confidence that helps in the visibility that gets you the access. They go together. They're a sequence. Right. Confidence begins with communication tactics. And that fact, if we have one takeaway for your audience, Richie, it's that. How do you get confident through communication skills? What is the benefit? It gives you a visibility you otherwise wouldn't have. What does the outcome lead to access to the decision makers?
Beautiful. I like that. That's your yeah. little mountain right there. Confidence, <laughs> visibility, access. And that's, uh, that's super powerful. Visibility, yeah. access. And the reason I say that, Richie, I think this is an important lesson here. I train a lot of very big companies. So I'm exposed to lots of career climbers early on in their career that are emerging leaders. Right. And often the, the, the leadership training that I do is born out of, oh my gosh, the observation for many people say, Chuck, you know, that person's not very visible. Like they don't come out, they don't ask for, they, they, they don't come out much. They don't ask a lot of questions. They're technically very competent and we're scratching our head. Why aren't they showing up more often? Why aren't they more curious and inquisitive? Why aren't they in the offices of the people above them asking for career advice? And I, my, my response in many cases, well, I don't know the answer to that. I have certain assumptions, but let's begin to test those assumptions. And when you begin to meet, particularly in very big companies, there's a fear factor and there's a hierarchy. And many people are afraid to press the layer to breach what they perceive as a hierarchy. Well, I'm at the bottom of the ladder. I can't walk into the office of a Warren Buffett and, and, and ask him for career advice. And, and my point to him is, show me a sign or a signal anywhere that says you can't walk into Warren Buffett's office and ask for advice. I'm looking around. I'm sorry. I don't see it. Where is there a warning sign or a stop? You've gone too far. I was like, oh, you mean I can go to a managing director and ask him for career advice? I, I'm who, who said you can't? Oh, well. So what I'm describing is an unconscious bias of many people who feel that there's, there are layers that can't be pressed. I don't agree with that, especially in this day and age. I think there is a democratization, so to speak, that, that people don't have to ask for permission. Just ask for forgiveness later if somebody has a problem with it. But go and, and, and get visibility by being the one who is asking for that advice you are showing to the people at the top and what's the worst thing that's going to going to happen when you ask them for that meeting they say no okay don't take no for an answer give them a couple days come back to them again and try again that's the mountain richie that's career success just keep trying rework it Think about it in, in everything we do. We try again, but we try differently. It's not working harder. It's working smarter. You right. find other ways up that mountain. But many people, unfortunately, the younger ones, they just get stuck in a certain way and don't recognize that there's alternate approaches, alternate paths up the mountain. So you send an email, and if he or she doesn't respond, Send a text, and if they don't respond, put it on Slack. And if they don't respond, walk into that office. Hey, Richie, I'm Chuck Garcia. Do you have a minute? A lot of people have a lot more time that they're willing to give than people think, but you don't know unless you ask. So this is really, really good. So just in, wrap, in wrapping up, Chuck, what, what these lessons – have taught you? Where did this lead you today? Just, just in, you know, 60 seconds or so you got a business, you're teaching students, you consult for bloom, you're back consulting for Bloomberg. Yeah. Just real quick. Can you share with how, not only have you transformed the lives and businesses of others, but also where has this gotten you today? Yeah. And I think the most important lesson, and I appreciate that because in my career through, I work for very big companies and I'm really glad I did. 
But I have to say early in on my career, I didn't envision doing my own thing. I thought, hey, you know, I, this is who I am. I work for big companies. I, I one day decided I'm going to form my LLC. I went into legal Zoom for $600. I now have a company. That's how simple it is in this day and age. But how I got here, Richie, and I think this is the takeaway. You have no idea the world out there, what they think of you or, or the value that you bring until you begin to test it. My advice to everybody is build your network, particularly for those salespeople. You don't know where you're going to be tomorrow or even two weeks from now, because as an employee at will, you can either quit or you can be fired. So to take control of your life, think about three things. And this is what I did. What do you love? What are you good at? What will get you paid? Think about that in a Venn diagram and start to fill it in. What do you love? I like that, whatever that is. And then you start to look at the elements. This is the foundation of your company. And I would say to everybody else, what I did to get there, once I figured out the intersection of what I love, what I'm good at, and what's going to get me paid, bam, there it was. I immediately looked at that and I created a vision that I can form my own company and I can be an entrepreneur. For many of you, you can stay in your day job if funding is a problem and do it on the side as a side gig and then use it as a transition to build into your own company and cut away from where you are. But I think in my case, I built up a capital. I built up the network that allowed me to say when I was ready, I'm going to make the big leap. And that's what I would recommend to people, but no shortcut. Take your time doing it. Don't want to do it too early, and you cannot do it successfully until you have built up the trust, credibility, and respect that comes through network building and treating everyone in your path with respect and giving more than you take. That's my summation. Give, give, give. give I give, love give. it. Yep. Where can people find you, Chuck? You bet. Couple on the days. website behind you? <laughs> on the website behind me, yeah. In fact, if you are watching this, it's chuckgarcia.com. If you are listening and you don't have a visual, it's chuckgarcia.com. My book is called The Climb to the Top. You can find us on Instagram, certainly on LinkedIn. I think that's where I live mostly. Just That's yeah. our big professional network. I don't spend a whole lot of time in the other ones because we're, we're very business focused. So chuckgarcia.com. You can also send me an email at chuck at climbleadership.com. And also I have a podcast that I was blessed to bring Richie on that was available last week on my website. There is a, a tab for the podcast. We've had wonderful guests, including Richie Carntartesi and, and so many other wonderful people, but it's all about the mountain. And Richie, I am grateful for the opportunity to be able to contribute to your show. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for being here. My last question, because I got to ask it, Chuck, you've built this amazing company. You're, you're teaching, you're coaching, What's your next play? Yeah, my What's next Chuck's play. next play? Chuck's trying to get to television, Richie. So, nice. Um, you know, I wrote a book called The Climb to the Top. I have a podcast called The Climb to the Top. What's the name of our television pilot, Richie? Climb to the Top. <laughs> <laughs> right. So with, with a wonderful company behind us that you and I have mutual friends, yep. uh, the, the next play is to bring a climb to the top to television. That is the ultimate scale. We filmed a pilot episode in the Adirondack Mountains. It featured, we had an open casting call, and in the pilot, we have four people in their career transitions. We had a camera crew, and we took 72 hours worth of footage. We distilled it down into what is a pilot episode that we're still producing, and our goal, our next play, is to bring our pilot episode to the streamers and the networks to propose a docuseries called A Climb to the Top, because we are mission. And I want to end here with the Pablo Picasso quote that is so prevalent in my mind. And he once said that your mission in life is to find your gift. 
Your meaning in life is to find your gift. The purpose is to give the gift away. And that's what we do every day. We want to give our gift away because the more that we can give that gift, the more solid we are that people are going to be able to give that gift to others. And if we can create that kind of domino effect that help people to climb their mountains, that's what we do. That's why we do it. Awesome, man. Absolutely amazing. I'm super excited. Do you know when this is going to release? We don't. You know, I, I think this is part of our mountain climb where we have created something that we believe is valuable. However, to all of the sales leaders listening, what are we going to do now? We need to sell it. How yeah. are we going to do it? By speaking to CNBC and Discovery Channel about their dreams, their hopes, their aspirations. Yeah, We're not going to ram this down the throat, right? We, we, we are going to introduce what we did, the most important part, why we did it, who we did it for, and what they will benefit from it. So we don't know. I think that's the uncertainty and the big leaps we take in our careers where there's sometimes there is speculation about the things that we do that we believe are of value. Now we have to sell it. That's all us. We have only, it's, the fate is in our hands. And if we can do this, that's my next play. And if that happens, we'll form another next play. I don't, right yeah, now, I can, I can only focus on this one. I'm not focused on anything beyond there. All you can do is just focus on the next play, maximizing your potential on the next play. I love it. Awesome. Focus on the next one. <laughs> Chuck, thank you so much for, for being here. Uh, I hope everyone got a lot out of this. He's, he's, he's been around the block to say the least in some of the biggest companies, including now his own. So thank you so much for being here. And uh, hopefully we'll have you on the show here in the future. Well, the pleasure was all mine, Richie. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to collaborate with you and also to reach your audience. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Next Play Podcast. If you liked the show, make sure to leave us a review. For more resources, visit relentlessuniversity.com or download the free Relentless University app. And if you're interested in having me speak at your next event, visit relentlessrichie.com. Until next time.